Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of The Art and Design of Sci-Fi and Fantasy, Mystery and Horror. Uh, today, I speak with Professor Sam Gill, who's written a book on religion and technology. The focus of it is artificial beings, especially female artificial beings, and how um, the thinking has, has uh, changed over time, or, or the thinking over time uh, from ancient thought to a modern philosophy to a current pop culture entertainment as far as artificial beings, especially female artificial beings. And uh, we talk about religion, body movement, different aspects of artificial intelligence, uh, spoiler alert, we do, uh, we do mention something about the ending of the first season of Westworld and also the ending of the movie Ex Machina, uh, so if you haven't seen those, they're slight spoilers, uh, for you, so when, when we start talking about those things, you might want to skip ahead a, a few minutes if you don't want to get the spoiler, um, but it's minor stuff, I think, um, anyway, uh, very interesting discussion, and I hope you enjoy, thanks. I'm speaking with Professor Sam Gill, author of Religion and Technology into the Future, From Adam to Tomorrow's Eve. Thank you for speaking with me. I'm happy to be here. So, um, tell me how you got into studying science and science fiction thought and, and writing about it. I have um, been long interested in uh, religion. That's been my field of study. Mm-hmm. Uh, for quite a number of decades, um, but my first profession was actually uh, in business, and um, beyond that I had degrees in science and math, so uh, late in my career then all of these things sort of came together with an obsession of watching uh, science fiction on television and reading science work and uh, reading about uh, biology, and it all came together then. Uh, almost, uh, just almost by accident, I wanted to teach a course uh, that was an intro to religion, and I chose these themes of uh, science and religion that uh, I thought students would be very excited about because I could deal with it in terms of a lot of contemporary fiction and um, uh, television and things that they would know about. Mm -hmm. All right, so uh, tell me about uh, this book. Well, this book um, is a set of 25 essays. Mm -hmm. uh, they interweave with one another pretty nicely. But uh, the thing I was really interested in was looking at contemporary issues that focus around things like robots and androids and uh, the, the almost obsession, it seems to me, with of science and fiction with creating sentient beings mm -hmm. uh, and to see if that was something new to the contemporary period or whether there were historical precedent for it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was interested in saying, so given that, where is this going in the future? Because uh, it could be really scary or it could be really exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, so I put all that together and this book came out of that. Yeah, so... Um I just received the copy of the book, and I I noticed that uh, yeah your your sources range from I guess ancient Greek thought to sort of Renaissance and modern philosophy, and then you get into um as you say contemporary uh, 
shows. You know, I saw references to Wally, Mad Max, um, Doctor Who, Star Trek. Um, <laughs> a, a, a wide range of the Westworld is a big example. It seems you discuss a lot. That's right. Yeah, so the way I organized this, um, I really simply sat down and said, what are the sort of most exciting uh, issues that there are today, and how are those illustrated by these uh, either contemporary or really well-known classic uh, works of fiction and art? Uh, so one of one of them, which is classic, and it's uh, really valuable at the present moment, it's very popular at the present moment, is uh, Mary Shelley's uh, remarkable novel, Frankenstein, which uh, just this year it celebrates its uh, 200th anniversary of its first publication. So, uh, so Frankenstein is another one of these examples, and I noticed that even the scientific community is pretty interested in this uh, novel right now as well. So mm-hmm. that just gives you sort of an example of the expanse of all of this. It's been really fun. So I was also fascinated with uh, how you, again, I haven't read past the first chapter so far, but you mentioned, um, so it seems to really revolve around uh, the creation of uh, female artificial intelligence seems to be the main focus, and you talk about, uh, you mentioned that you're going to discuss body you know, the human body, movement, singing, dancing, sort of the expression of religion. Um, yes, yes. So so that's fascinating. Well, Can you elaborate uh, on that? Uh, actually, that's another part of my research is that I have been a dancer, ran a dance studio, uh, and have been sort of obsessed with movement for over the last 30 years or so. Um, my last book was on religion and dance, so... Uh, so that does come in in terms of like movement and the importance of all that and to me um, my sense of the future the the hopeful future is uh, to see religion and culture based increasingly on an embracing of our sort of fundamental human biology mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and so what I wanted to do is to kind of trace that through all these examples um, and uh, sort of look at what is really distinctive about us human beings and how how are those distinctive features captured in all of these really cool examples <laughs> mm-hmm. so uh, to me that's a compelling that's a compelling movement of the book so would you say your book is sort of uh, sort of a, a review of the sort of historical, you know, past and present historical uh, approaches to this, or do you also use that to extrapolate what you think people will think or feel in the future, or, or you know? Um, okay, that's a really great question. Uh, it's, it, is, uh, it is framed in history, uh, but it's definitely not any attempt at any sort of systematic historical accounting of these issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, um, the, the, the concerns of who are we, uh, where are we going, uh, what distinguishes us are much more compelling than uh, what people in the past have thought about that in some sort of systematic way. Mm-hmm. Um, then in terms of the future, I'm not projecting on any any uh, necessarily statistical or scientific trajectory 
but rather um, using my own uh, fairly wide reading in philosophy, biology, as well as history, to say, here's uh, here's my point of view on all of this. Here's where I think things ought to be heading, uh, and how those how my views differ uh, from maybe the most common practices in the state of scientific community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I attempt to support it with a lot of scientific and philosophical work, but um, but uh, there's a lot of my own passion in this book, so mm-hmm. uh, so it's not just total opinion, that's for sure. Uh, so it's well researched, but that, but it it uh, it definitely has a slant that is my own construction. So it's creative in that respect. Okay. Are there any other significant um, sort of secondary issues that you discuss in the book that we haven't brought up yet? Uh, well, one of them that I think is pretty cool that might be interesting to your uh, to your listeners or your audience is that um, when I look at the future of like uh, the ro- the development of robots and artificial intelligence, um, you know, there's a huge interest right now in uh, creating sentient beings. Mm-hmm. And uh, the principal techniques, both in pretty much in science as well as in fiction, seem to me to be focused on uh, really the brain as the model of who we are as human beings, and that if you can build a powerful enough artificial brain, then at some point there'll be this breakover or this singularity, and suddenly then you'll have this uh, sentient being that then can sort of take over, you know, <laughs> and then we become pets of the of the of the AI robot. Mm-hmm. And uh, my work, based more in biology, suggests that human beings really are who we are because of our biological basis and our basis in movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we we don't gain concepts, for example, in my view, by learning them. School, we, we learn concepts, the most fundamental, important ones that pervade everything that we do through our own uh, gestures and movements that are culturally, historically, and personally based. Uh, so that what, what it seems to me that is necessary uh, to create a sentient being is then basically to have a being that can move and that can do, that can have gestures and experience, you know. Mm. So, uh, that comes first, and then the brain, of course, supports all that. So uh, that's kind of one of the more radical decisions that I developed throughout the book. Hmm, that's very interesting. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I look forward to well, one of the one of the examples. There is what I call the ultimate Turing test. Um, your listeners probably know about the Turing test that Alan Turing developed that uh, in the mid twentieth century. Mm-hmm. And that's that notion of uh, can a computer fool a human being that it's uh, really a human being? Mm-hmm. Um, but that is um, that's a, a blind test, so that you have a person and a computer in two different rooms, and then you have the the evaluator in the third room, and they all they all communicate with each other uh, by language. Mm-hmm. But then you have this wonderful example of, of like um, oh the film Ex Machina where. You have the AI android figure, uh, and and it's supposed to be a Turing test, but I call it the ultimate Turing test because you can see 
uh, Ava, who is the uh, who is the uh, robot, the AI robot, uh, the android in the in that film, mm-hmm. and you can see that she's definitely artificial because she's partly plastic and all that. You know, so it's like it screams out, "I'm artificial, I'm artificial, I'm artificial." But uh, the evaluator, who's this kid named Caleb, he falls in love with her right away. Mm-hmm. You know, so to me, that's the ultimate Turing test: is to say, "I'm artificial," but uh, you will see me as a sentient being. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's a really, really cool kind of notion. And to me, what makes well, one people passing the, the the ultimate Turing test is the physicality of the being, the way they move. Mm-hmm. You know, so when when you see and and actually also the voice qualities as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, so those are really cool kinds of things that I think about in the books. Yeah, I look forward to reading reading uh, about that. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me how you chose the, the sort of the the entertainment uh, choices that you made. You know, how do you choose the movies and and shows that you uh, use as examples? Uh, part of them are uh, well. For example, I just talked about uh, Ex Machina. That that one was one of the very first ones I got thinking about, and that's because. The end of that movie disturbed me so deeply because you become very attracted to this young woman who is not a sentient being. But then at the end of the film, uh, as the film kind of nears the end, she commits these like brutal murders. And it's like, oh my gosh, how can this be? You know? And so to me, it was like, this is really addressing something extremely deep in terms of um, what it means to be. Uh, a human being, what it means to be a machine, uh, how to move from one to the other, you know, all of these issues of value were raised in that film. And uh, so basically I simply looked through uh, things that I was familiar with, things that I really loved and enjoyed, and began to see that in many, many of them, these wonderful issues just came out and then as I'd look at one then I'd find others and so forth so mm-hmm. uh, part of it was just complete the accident of you know what I like and what I know mm-hmm. and then part of it was based on uh, you know what, where those things led me so right. yeah yeah I noticed you had data you know you have a discussion of data from Star Trek in right. there too and right right exactly so that you know, it's a it's a wealth of material. Um, I actually cut the number of chapters to, to get the book through book length mm-hmm. uh, because uh, you know there's no ending to this. There's always there's always a new thing that you'll find that can do the same thing. So, was there a part of the uh, research or, or, or writing of the book that you found most enjoyable? Um, actually, the whole thing. Just spilled out of me uh, when I it, it was sort of remarkable. I mean, this is like my twelfth book or something like that. But mm-hmm. when I sat down to do this, when I was really thinking about teaching this class, and I sat down one day and I actually wrote a list of what I thought at the time would be lectures, and um, and it turned out to be well, I'd say probably sixty or seventy percent of that little list. Uh, are the chapter titles in the book right now. And then, when I taught that course, I taught the course over three months, and I basically did all the research and the writing 
uh, in those three months. It just, you know, it was just, I couldn't sort of write fast enough to keep up with it. So yeah. um, it just spilled out. So, What did you find, or what, what did you uh, sort of figure out or conjecture that was uh, most surprising for you? Uh, the most surprising thing to me is, is captured in the word in the subtitle, which is Tomorrow's Eve. Mm -hmm. um, because what I was just, uh, it was actually quite shocking when I began to realize that from the first android, which was in a 19th century novel, late 19th century French novel that actually has the title Tomorrow's Eve in English, it was translated in English, Mm -hmm. uh, all the way through, well, to the first robot in a film, uh, which was Fritz Lang's uh, very classic silent film called Metropolis. It's mm -hmm. really pretty widely known. Mm -hmm. uh, all the way through to, like, Valdis um, uh, Ex Machina and, um, and, um, uh, Scarlett, um, uh, Scarlett Johansson's voice and her, uh, on and on and on. It were it was all these females who were these robots or or uh, or sentient beings that are uh, android robot uh, styles. I mean, of course, there's some exceptions uh, like the Terminators and like Data and so forth. But even uh, when I studied Mary Shelley's novel Frankenstein. I found that a lot of people feel like that the creature in that, though presented as male, is really aligned very strongly with Mary Shelley herself. Hmm. And so it has a lot of female elements to it. So the thing that then began to stun me was, you know, from Eve, from Galatea, from all these, they're made women, made by men, usually for the purposes of being a sidekick or a sexual partner or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. for men's pleasure, mm -hmm. uh, these artificial beings, and they're all made female so that they're made as adults. They have no mother model. Um, they do not have a mother themselves, and yet they turn out to be these remarkable, remarkable figures in terms of what they uh, offer, I think, to, uh, to, to a future world. Mm -hmm. And that what that is is a much more complex understanding of um, of the world. It's uh, it's an understanding that allows for questions to arise that don't have answers. And I think that the sort of male model is to always come up with an answer. You know, <laughs> produce something, <laughs> make it mean something. Right. But I think these these female figures all raise the issues in such a way that you cannot stop thinking about them uh, because they're so fundamental to who we are, but then they don't supply easy answers. Mm -hmm. was and the, so to me, that was like such a stunning part of the book. So, Was there a, an issue that was particularly difficult for you to um, wrap your hands around and maybe come to a conclusion or... Um, the one that I probably spent the most time thinking about and working and to try to uh, to try to really understand is the issue of violence. Mm -hmm. um, so that you see that definitely in 
in Ava, the, the android in uh, Ex Machina, but you also see it at the end of season one of Westworld. Um, because there you have uh, Dolores, who is this sort of very pleasant young woman, who then basically uh, kills her maker mm-hmm. uh, in that film. Uh, so it's a, you know, there's just so much violence in that. And so to me, it was like, what is going on that uh, is behind all of this violence? Mm-hmm. And uh, and it, it confronted me personally in a way that was kind of interesting because in terms of life uh, and reality, I really abhor violence of almost every kind. Mm-hmm. But I'm attracted to uh, so many uh, television and movies and, and, and literature that has a lot of violence in it. You know? mm. So it's like, why am I attracted to violence in literature and art when I really abhor violence in reality? And <laughs> so I started doing a lot of reading on the philosophy of violence, and I felt that they didn't do a very good job of thinking about violence in the context of but clearly fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I began to realize that very much like Westworld, you go to Westworld as a guest to commit all kinds of violence knowing that it's not real violence, and all those deaths then say, oh, that's where I learned my true self. Hmm. So I began to think a lot about then about how violence plays this in, in fiction, in, not in reality, but in fiction where it's clear that it is fiction plays this really important role of helping us address things that are really fundamental to who we are. Mm-hmm. And then I remembered uh, Nietzsche's notion of, uh, late 19th century notion of the death of God and that, that human murder God. Mm-hmm. And I began to realize that um, that the way for a made being, like all of these Tomorrow's Eve examples, because they're all made, uh, to, to declare their free will, their independence is the, the, the most absolute certain way of doing that is to kill their maker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so we have been that parallel with those kind of theological themes and religion that was uh, introduced by Nietzsche and others. So. Hmm. Interesting. So, so that was, you know, it took me a long time to really research that and come to a place where I felt pretty comfortable with what I was writing about. Was there anything in your in your research that emotionally moved you, either positively or negatively? Uh, I think all of it. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, it's just like um, it was very affirming to me to think of and to see example after example after example that I felt um, confirmed my great passion for how fundamental movement and dance and being a bodied person, being a bodied being is to who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had lived that and danced that and taught that for so long, but then uh, writing this book, I think, simply gave me such a broader range of confirmation that, um, that, that this is... Uh, there's something to this, you know. We we really are biological beings, and and that is 
such a marvelous thing if we were just to embrace that and understand that. Have you come across anyone else um, discussing discussing that uh, before? Um, I have. Uh, there's a small group of philosophers who um, do um, uh, work pretty hard to embrace the biological constituency of being human. You know, that we are fundamentally biological. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one person uh, in particular, Maxine Sheets Johnstone, who wrote, the, wrote a book called Primacy of Movement, which uh, very heavily influenced me. And she simply, uh, she, she, well, it's a very, it's a very wonderful book, but, uh, but in the most fundamental way, she just reminds us that we come to life as movement. You know, it's not that we come to existence and then we learn how to move. It's when we move, when we move then we know we're alive. And, you know, like when a woman is pregnant, when the baby moves, then she's like, oh, yeah, it's alive, you know. Mm-hmm. And a stillborn is the, is the baby that's born without life. And so um, she then develops it in a broad and very uh, full uh, philosophical perspective, but uh, but she, as well as um, uh, a number of other philosophers, uh, although they're certainly in the minority in terms of philosophers, have developed this notion of the importance of movement and gesture as uh, who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but how about applying that to? Uh Artificial beings is that something? You no, can... I don't. I don't know anybody who does that. So I feel like that that's something I've done that I have not seen anybody else do. So yeah, I, I don't think I can. I've come across that either. So I just, I just want to check with you to make right, sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I think I would have run across it, uh, but I uh, I have not for sure. So um, tentatively, I'll claim that <laughs> my contribution. So. What do you hope the book will do? Do you think it might affect um, people working on artificial beings, or you know, you know, what what do you want it to affect? Um, well, I would. I, I think it would be. Uh, I think it would be very exciting if people who were developing artificial intelligence uh, were to read this and then consider how that uh, notion that um, body movement is pretty fundamental. Um, and so are so many other things. I mean, just think of like when you create a when you create a I I would call it an AI robot. AI to me to me means that the intelligence part and the robot means the physical part. But combined together, an AI robot. Um, the that when you when you create that, um, I mean, robots are made of plastic and metal and. Uh, you know, silicon. So, so they don't move. I mean, they don't grow. They they don't die. They don't. Uh, they aren't born. They uh, any feelings and all those things they have are um, simulations of uh, what human feelings are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, it's like, well, unless you work on developing some way that uh, that matches that biological magic of when we move we feel ourselves moving <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, when we move, we're growing, we're hurting, we're falling in love, we're doing all those things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, then, uh, then you'll never really come to a sentient being. It, it, it just can't happen that way. Or if you did, it would be. I, I think it's absolutely possible that you could create um, an artificial being that could imitate human behavior in a certain sphere that would be um, it would not be distinguishable from human beings but that to me is a long way from being a truly sentient being so anyway I'd, I'd love for scientists to look at it but even more broadly than that um, I just uh, would love for the, the general uh, educated reader to look at this book so that when they saw things like uh, movies and television programs and uh, literature and the, the great popularity of all of these scientific movements that they would recognize that there is a great deal of uh, depth that one can appreciate about what those are, things are saying about who we are as human beings. As you were speaking, um, the scene from Blade Runner... Um, from the, uh-huh. the 80s, you know, with the scientist and all yeah. his his toys, yeah. they seem yeah. to, they seem to have more life because of the way they moved. You know, they seem to have individual movements that made them seem yeah. more more real and sentient. Yes, 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 yes. To me, it's, you know, when we say um, you know, if you move like a robot, then you're really saying you don't move naturally. You know, mm-hmm. now, I think that finishing the book or getting it published and how you overcame those? Uh, difficulties, uh, well, I did have to send it to a number of presses because uh, I think it fits across so many different categories that publishers had a hard time sort of figuring out, you know, where does this fit? Mm-hmm. Uh, does it fit in religion? Does it fit in technology? Does it fit in religion and science? Does it, you know, fit in literature? Does it fit in media? Um, so, so I, I think that um, the responses I got to from a from several presses that I sent it to basically sort of reflected, you know, that they just didn't know where to put it. So, um, so, so it took me a while then to, to find. Um, but to find a publisher for it, so. Mm-hmm. But not that long, you know, mm-hmm. maybe six months or so. Okay. So what's your next writing project? Uh, well, I actually have another book uh, coming out um, in about a month or two, which is called uh, Creative Encounters, Appreciating Difference. Mm-hmm. And uh, this book um, really looks at uh, the issue of how we appreciate difference in the world it seems to be an essential concern I want to move past just tolerating difference which I think is maybe a sort of common strategy like okay how can we get along with other people <laughs> mm-hmm. 
well, let's tolerate them somehow, you know. Right. But, yeah. uh, but what I really feel is that difference is uh, what is vitalizing to us. It's what uh, is exciting. Uh, it's what makes us reflect and change and grow and, uh, and create new things. Uh, so... So the, the book is really constructed around those themes of not just how we tolerate difference, but how we come to truly appreciate it. Um, part of this came out of uh, my answer of dancing, because my, uh, my work on dance, which, oh, it's gone on for like 30 years now, has been the dancing and the study of... Um, dances across the world mm-hmm. um, and it seems to me that with very few exceptions people always want to teach you their dances you know if you go visit them they're like come on you know we'll show you how to dance you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and and dances are often identified with you know who you are mm-hmm. uh, so you know if you do country dancing then you know you're you're a cowboy or a cowgirl so Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you do, uh, you know, hip hop, then that puts you in that community. So your identity is tied up with, you know, your, your, what, the way you dance, the way you move, the way you, you do that to music and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so that notion of when you're looking at dances of people that are not like you, then most of us can say, wow, that is so interesting. I love that. You know, I'm so interested in, seeing those differences so you can appreciate difference in dancing really well mm-hmm. and what I really wanted to be able to do is to suggest ways in which we can appreciate difference through these creative encounters mm-hmm. um, uh, not only in dancing but elsewhere it actually brings to mind when you say that um, you know people also have their you know clothing also gives people an impression of, of what community you belong in and then if you have someone in one uh, type of outfit, say, and they move or dance in a different way, it creates a dissonance, I think, that, you know, oh, either yeah. leads oh, yeah. to humor yeah. or shock or something. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. I have so many stories about that. Uh, when I was in Bali one time, I had, uh, I was, it was actually walking. It was a dancing. But I was walking with a bunch of young Balinese guys. And, um, and I've been to Bali a few times, and and there's a Balinese walk, you know. Hmm. When you see somebody walk, it's like, oh, wow, they know how to walk. And it's the Balinese walk. And so we were walking down the road, and I was trying to imitate their walk. Mm-hmm. And they looked over at me, and they all stopped, and they watched me. And, they, <laughs> and then they all just busted out laughing, you know. They said, we know what you're doing. You're trying to walk like a Balinese, and you can't do it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that is so absolutely true. You know, it is uh, you can you can pretend, but you really can't do it. So yeah, yeah, lots of those stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, do you have a website or social media presence that people can follow your thoughts or I writings? Do. Uh, yeah, uh, sam mm-hmm. So that's and at- uh, there's a there's a lot of stuff there that there are. There's a course on religion and dance that I teach. It's got lectures and um, videos, and they're printed as well as in video form. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's all there. 
most of my publications are accessible through that because I've published lots and lots of um, periodical literature as well as books mm. and uh, some blog posts are there. Uh, a, a quite a variety of things are there. So and that so that's S A M S A M dash, which is the hyphen Gill G I L L dot com. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, very simple. So that's all I have. Do you have any final thoughts? Okay. Well, no, I really appreciate you, you calling me. It, um, I just got the physical book a couple days ago, probably the same day you did. So, mm-hmm. so it was kind of fun to see it. And, uh, of course, it's fun to talk about it a little bit as well. And I definitely hope that people will uh, take a look at it. Oh, yeah. It, it has a very conversational tone. It's easy to read, though it has, like, you know, pretty uh, pretty uh, substantial intellectual content. Um, right. For, but, well, I worked really hard to make it uh, accessible to, uh, you know, a non-specialist reader because, um, because I just really wanted a broader appeal than a bunch of specialist academics. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, I'm looking forward to continuing to read it. So. Oh. All right. Well, well, let me know what you think about it. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. One of the best ways in which you can provide feedback for this podcast is to rate me on iTunes. Uh, Please give me a good rating if you like this, or uh, feel free to give me a bad rating if you didn't, and I'll use that feedback to hopefully make this a better podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram under Chris Alvarez Sci-Fi, on Facebook under Chris Alvarez WLC on YouTube under Chris Alvarez WLC and on Twitter under Chris Alvarez WLC. You can also get more information on my website, chrisalvarez.com. Please remember my name, Chris, does not have an H, so it's C R I S A L V A R E com. Thanks for listening and keep imagining the future.